in Christ. Who you are and whose you are in Christ means everything. It's a game changer for our lives. When I was a young man, believe it or not, there was a BC for me. That's before Christ. There was a season in my life where I was uh, not following Jesus. And uh, my high school years, I was kind of a rowdy kid, and I had a lot of rowdy friends. I don't know, probably nobody here was like that at all in high school. But uh, it was before I knew Jesus. And so I had a 69 Chevelle Super Sport. Man, we should just let that rest, because that's, that's preaching ground right there. 69 Chevelle, 396 big block in it, 350 horsepower stock until we started messing with the engine, and then it went up from there, and my dad was a car guy, so I became a car dude, and uh, as a 14-year-old, I had my first hot rod. Yeah, I said 14. It was post-Texas. Come on. And uh, post-Texas in the 70s, you know, we could drive, and they had this thing called hardship license that anybody could get, which I did. And uh, because my parents worked, I had to commute one way or the other, so why not do it in a 69 Chevelle, right? And so uh, we drove the wheels off of that car. But here's what I learned. Almost everybody in my graduating class of 69 students um, had a pickup. I didn't. I had a 69 Supersport that rode about this high off the ground. But somehow, in my mind, I thought it should go everywhere they go. So, you know, I mean, they'd be out somewhere, and I'd be driving that thing just like a pickup, you know? Well, one night, I, and it's none of your business what I was doing, but one night, out in the field somewhere, and uh, that was before Jesus, um, I got high-centered in that car. And here's the deal. You can have 370, 380 horsepower in your car, but if you can't get traction, you're going nowhere. You go. You're just spinning your wheels, making a lot of noise. And that car did me no good as fast as it was when I couldn't get traction to the ground. And a lot of believers, because of this identity issue, they do not know who they are in Christ are like that 69 Chevelle Supersport with a white vinyl roof and a Panasonic 8-track tape player <laughs> bolted to the metal dash because we had metal dashes back then. But they, they look good, they, they intend to do well, but if you do not know who you are, you're getting no power to the ground. And so you're stuck. And a lot of followers of Jesus who mean well, have good intent, they love God, they pray. They, they, you do your version Bible and you click all the boxes, which I don't necessarily, but you do. And because of that, you feel like you're doing okay, but it doesn't seem to be working for you. Why? You're stuck. Call it what you want, demonic oppression. You can call it uh, physical oppression, psychological, psycho-emotional. You can go all through this, but there's reasons. But at the end of the day, you're stuck for whatever reason. You find yourself in that place. You love God, but this isn't working for you. And nine times out of ten, it's because we do not understand or know who we are in Christ. When that ball dropped for me... A number of years ago, living in Southern California, when somebody handed me a copy of Neil Anderson's book, The Bondage Breaker, I thought, what a strange title for a book. I didn't know what to expect when I opened that book. I thought I was going to be reading about oppression because we lived in Southern California in an area, the high desert of Southern California, where there was a lot of spirit, let's just say a lot of spiritual activity. And, uh, and, and I, this... Texas country bumpkin, wasn't sure what to do with it, and so somebody gave me that book and said it might help. Let me tell you what it helped. It helped me understand my identity in Christ. 
And once I understood my identity in Christ, a lot of the issues that we were dealing with started to evaporate because once you know who you are, the enemy has no more leverage in your life. No secrets, no leverage. And so once that happened for me, it was a game changer. My prayer for you is it'll be a game changer for you. We're in week five right now of a summer series called Identified, Discovering Who and Whose You Are. But today's title is, a, it's, I stole it from a Mercy Me song, Welcome to the New, because some of you need to get to know the new you, which is really the actual you, the true you. And it's who you are in Christ. Everybody today, it seems to be, uh, it seems to be okay to just choose your identity. I want to be this, I want to be that, I feel like this, I feel like that. I learned a long time ago that at the end of the day, the Scripture tells me that I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Jimmy Pruitt who lives, but Christ now lives in and through me, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. In other words, Jimmy Pruitt is dead, but Christ Himself is alive in me. And because Christ is alive in me, he's living his life through me, so now my identity has nothing to do with what I feel, what I think, or what I desire. My identity is solely in Christ. So who am I? I'm one who's beloved of God. Amen. Radically beloved of God. Let me just real quick, I want to show you a quote in just a minute, but I want to give you a quick review. We've talked about free from accusation. Well, you're leaking again, the mystery among you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Dead or alive, you are complete in him. Oh my gosh, if we could just get that. To telestai, does anybody know what that word means? It is finished, it is finished debt paid in full. Free from judgment. He canceled the written code. The written code that was referred to there was the inscription that they would write on a piece of paper and they would nail it to the cross of the individual being crucified and this was their crime or crimes. But because of what Jesus did for us, our written code has been nailed to the cross and it's no longer over us. He took it himself. So let me share this with you. Brennan Manning, one of my favorite authors who's had a massive impact on my life through the years, he wrote The Signature of Jesus, the Ragamuffin Gospel, and he writes this, or said this in the book, define yourself radically as one loved by God. So what is your identity? I am one loved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. We need to hear that in a culture today who says it's okay to pick and choose who you are. The mentality today is you've got to be you. Be the best you you can be. You need to be, improve yourself. Be a better you. And I'm like, I thought we were supposed to be dead. In fact, we just saw an example of it just played out in the real where the picture is, is that you're buried in Christ in baptism. That means literally you've died in Him. And now you're raised to walk in what? New life. New life. So if I've been buried with Christ and I'm already dead, I'm a dead man walking in a sense. The only life that's in me is the life of Christ. And I live now, not from the cross, but out of the resurrection. There you go. Amen. Listen to this. Colossians 3, we've been talking about the church at Colossae. And here, the simple short version is this. Paul was writing this letter to correct some teaching that it was a cult practice that had come into the church called asceticism. And the ascetics were those who believed that they, um, 
could appease their gods by mutilating themselves. So they would self-mutilate to somehow prove how humble they were and how humiliated they were before their God. So they would mutilate themselves. Well, this practice was trying to get into the church. Not like, now that never happens today where the, the practices and customs of the culture ever get into the church, right? We're talking about the first century. Never happens here. So what happened was these occult practices, because it was a new young church established by a disciple of Paul's named Epaphras. And by the way, Paul had never been to this church. This was a second generation church. Paul had gone through, spent two years in Ephesus, planting churches on his missionary journey. And then after those churches were planted, they made disciples and raised up more. And they began planting churches. And thus the kingdom was advancing through churches, planting churches, not a new idea. In fact, today, the highest number of converts that happen in America are church plants, not established churches. All the reason why we need to be thinking forward as Bridge Church Fredericksburg about who, where, and how are we going to plant churches so that we can win people to Jesus Christ and make disciples and execute the harvest vision. Amen? So this was happening, and now they've got a second-generation church, but it's a young church, a baby church, and now, because of the culture of Colossae, which is very pagan in nature, it was in Asia Minor, which we would consider today modern-day Turkey. You do know the Holy Land was Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Turkey, right? That was the Holy Land that we talk about. Much of what we read in the Bible happened in those regions. And so now... This church is beginning to grow, but this cult practice is coming in. And Paul has been writing, spent the first two chapters dealing with this, but now he's switching gears. Paul is going to go from defending the faith to what it looks like to demonstrate the faith. From defending to demonstrating. And so we pick it up here in Colossians 3.1. Since then, remember Paul writing, and he's writing a letter. And by the way, he wrote a very similar letter in the book of Ephesians, what we call the book of Ephesians, was actually a letter that he wrote about the same time. So Timothy was running information back and forth to Paul and reporting on the churches. This one's having a hard time. The ascetics are working here. Doceticism is coming into this one. Agnostic. I mean, you name it, they were all in. And Paul was defending and dealing with each of them. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's pretty clear, is it not? But understand, he's alluding also to the letter that he just wrote to the Ephesians. And it was in chapter 2 that he wrote, and we've been raised up together, seated in Christ, in heavenly places. If we're seated in Christ in heavenly places, and Christ is at the right hand of the Father, guess where that puts us? At the right hand of the Father, and guess where it puts your circumstances? Under your feet. You ever talk to somebody and they say, well, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. Whoa, wait a minute. If you're a child of God, a follower of Jesus, you are not under the circumstances. In fact, you're seated in Christ in heavenly places, which places you far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. That's who you are and where you are. And when you know that, no devil in hell can talk you out of it, nor the mirror. You just say, oh, no, you don't, because I know the truth, and the truth has set me free, right? You use the Scripture. Work the Word. Now listen to this. Set your mind. That word means to fix 
or to apprehend. You set your mind, and you say this, I'm setting my mind on things above. In fact, when people say, gosh, you're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good, I'm sorry, that doesn't work. That's an untrue statement. Did you know that you're a citizen of another kingdom, and it's not of this earth? This is a fallen world in which we live. It is a pale copy of the actual world that we're supposed to be a part of called the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, you're citizens of that kingdom. You ever wonder why you don't fit in? Has anyone ever told you you're quirky or odd? Well, I got good news for you. You're not supposed to fit in. People spend their entire life trying to fit in. Where do I fit? Where's my place in this world? Michael W. Smith wrote about it back in the 80s. My place in this world. Where do I fit? Why do I not seem like I can fit anywhere? Why do I feel like a square peg in a round hole? Because you are. Yes. Because your citizenship is in another kingdom. And when you begin to realize who you are in Christ and that I'm His and I'm a citizen of that kingdom, that's my identity, then this world... And the need to fit in in this world begins to evaporate. And you say, wow, I can actually love the world as Christ loved the world, but not feel like I have to fit in the world to live my life or to be validated. People will spend their entire lives trying to be validated by this world. Success, make it. What does it mean to win? Be a winner, overcome, be a champion. And we're fighting something that doesn't even exist. You are a citizen of another kingdom. That is who you are. Praise God that we're His. Listen to this in verse 3. Paul lays it out. For you died. That's an echo of Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In other words, Paul's getting really practical here. He's been talking about asceticism and dealing with all these doctrinal issues. And now he says, now this is how you live. And let me lay it out for you. You died. Your life is now hidden with Christ. Bonhoeffer said it. Jesus bids a man come and die. You've died. Your life is now hidden in Christ. In other words, when people see you, they should be seeing Christ in and through you. Amen? Amen. When Christ, who is your life, there's a really key word right here. That phrase, Christ, who is your life. We learned through Bill Loveless and Christ is Life Ministries. Uncle Bill has become such a dear friend of ours. And he taught us about two years ago, a year and a half ago, two years ago, that we have to live life from a new source. And that source is God himself. That source is him. He is our life. The problem is, is we try to take ownership of our life, do it on our own, and wonder why it's not working out. On Wednesday night, our crew, we have a golden question. Could somebody from Wednesday night ask the golden question? How's that working for you? Because most of us are lumbering through life trying to figure it out, trying to fit in, try to be validated, try to be significant, try to be known, and it's not working because it was never meant for it to work that way. We live life from the source, and the source is Him. Christ is our life. So heavenly-minded that you are absolutely earthly good. Is this good news? I'm telling you, it is great news. Some people say, this is too good to be true. 
that Jesus himself lives his life through me and that he's my source and he identifies me, that's just too good to be true. I say, it's so good it has to be true. That's what good news is. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We're seated in him. And on that day, that final day, when the consummation of the age comes, we will appear with him. We will be with him. Can you imagine that day? The renewal of all things. The restoration of all things. Everything that's been lost, stolen, broken, ripped off, decimated, destroyed, will be restored at the, restore, at the rest, restoration of all things. The renewal of all things. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that day. Amen? I don't dread the end. Oh my gosh, it's going to get worse. It's going to get terrible. Really? The Bible says it's, everything's going to be restored in the way it was intended to be. I don't think that's anything to dread. He says this, verse 5. He gets very practical here. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he just goes into a list of issues because the church at Colossae and the city, the community and the culture, they were dealing with these kinds of things, particularly with these occult practices. He says this, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. I know we don't have any of those struggles in our time. This is like ancient stuff, right? This is history. You don't see any of this stuff today. So this is all about them, right? Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now here's good news. Because it's easy to read that and go, oh, okay, here it comes, but here's good news. How about some good news? He says, you used to walk in these ways. Do you notice the tense? You used to do this. You used to walk in these ways. In the life you once lived. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Every day you're living as a new creation reality. That's your life. That's who you are. A new creation. You're not that old person. There is no wrath coming your way. Well, wait a minute. I made a mistake. I actually, I actually committed one of these. or two. Or two. Maybe I'm doing them all. Maybe I've totally dropped the ball. Let me tell you some good news today. You once were that. You are not defined by your behaviors and what you do. You are defined by Jesus himself. Christ, who is your life. God looks at you, he sees the son. God looks at you, he sees you as his son, and he says, that's my boy. That's my girl. And I love her and I adore her. So much so, I sent my own son to pay the highest price could ever be prayed. And the written code was nailed to the cross. Amen. And because of that, you can live free, walk free, and actually laugh every once in a while. It. It's okay. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. He's talking past tense. That is not who you are anymore. You are free indeed because the, whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. Verse 8, but now you must rid yourselves. He goes in, he says, get rid of this stuff. Anger, rage, malice, slander, slash gossip. Oh, I'm so tempted to stay on the G word, but we're going to keep moving. And filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. Think about this. Much as you would remove a garment, 
you take off a jacket, you're taking off the old self, and you're putting it aside because your old self, your old nature is dead and buried. By the way, you cannot resurrect yourself. You can try, but here's what you end up with. You end up with the residue of your past, but it's not real. It's like a smoke screen. You ever walk through one of those misters? I love those things. They look, it's just this cloud of mist that you walk through, and the, it's, the temperature's 10 degrees cooler when you walk through it, but it's just a vapor. It's just a mist. It's almost as though it looks real, but when you step through it, you feel hardly anything. So much of what the enemy presents to us in our minds, the battlefield of the mind, is just a mist. It's a vapor. It's not even real. But because the enemy is a liar and a deceiver, we tend to embrace that as truth, and what we embrace as truth gets manifested in our lives as true, even though it's not. You ever heard the term living a lie? That's living a lie. He says, get rid of these things. He says this, You've taken off the old self of this practice and put on the new self. Welcome to the new. That means literally you're taking Christ and you're putting him on and saying, I am putting on the new. I am clothed in Christ. I am clothed with the robe of righteousness. I am able to stand upright before a holy God, not because I'm good, but because he is good. And because he's good, I can stand upright he says, you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. Verse 11, here, and he levels the playing ground. There is no Jew, nor, no Greek, nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. There's a caste system there. Slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And remember the main theme of the book of Colossians or the letter to the Colossian church is the preeminence of Christ. Christ first. Christ alone. In verse 12, Therefore is God's chosen people holy. And if he says therefore, we need to know what the therefore is therefore. So he's concluding something after saying all of this. And here's his conclusion. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That is who you are. That's why Brennan Manning could write, out of a lifelong battle with a disease called alcoholism, which he lost his life to that battle in the end, out of that pain and out of the torment of that disease, he could write, define yourself as one who is radically loved by God. And that was out of his torment and out of his pain. Why could he do that? Because he understood who he was in Christ, that he had died and his life was hidden in Christ. And because of that, he could boldly proclaim, define yourself as one who's radically loved by God. Here's what we're to do. Holy ones. By the way, did you know you're holy? Did you know you're free from accusation? You're unaccusable? You're impermeable by accusation? You're God's chosen? You're dearly loved? He says this, Clothe yourselves with compassion. He goes through, and literally he's, re, he's rewriting and, and kind of putting together the fruit of the Spirit. Basically saying this, he says, clothe yourselves with these things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We're going to land on this because I want to say something about forgiveness it seems like every time we turn around and we're reading the scripture, this comes up. That's right. 
I've known people, I've had friends, I've also known of others who as ministers and pastors, and some of them were very powerful in God. I mean, walked in the power of God. When someone would come to the altar for prayer, they would ask this question first. They would say, do you have unforgiveness against anyone? Why in the world? What does that have to do with the need of that person? It's because they understood the power of forgiveness and the power of unforgiveness. The jail that we put ourselves in, the prison that we put ourselves in, wondering why nothing seems to be working, wondering why I can't even get my, my nose above the water to breathe, much less understand my identity in Christ, who I am and whose I am, because I'm so pushed down and oppressed because of the prison of unforgiveness. And I know ministers and pastors and preachers and evangelists who would literally say to somebody, I love you, I can pray for you, but until you release that, until that is released, I'm sorry. We're just spinning our wheels. Are you stuck? Are you like that Chevelle? High-centered, lots of horsepower, but nothing is getting to the ground. Could it be that this issue of unforgiveness has become a block for you? Could it be it's become something that is tripping you up, that is a rock of offense, a stumbling block that you continue to trip over, and it's almost got you in a stranglehold? He says this, bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances you have against an another. And then he just, he summarizes it with this simple statement. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How complete has God forgiven you? Totally. If you're sitting here thinking God's mad at you, you're thinking a wrong thought. That is not from God or the Bible. That's from the enemy. He loves you so utterly, completely, and radically. And all he asks is that you release the same thing that you have. Why, am, why was I a grace guy before grace was trendy and cool? Because I know how much grace God has towards me. And I know how much I needed. And you know what that produces in me? The ability to give away a lot. Forgiveness. He says, as you have been forgiven, that's how utterly complete you're to forgive others. And I think there are people here that are stuck. You're high-centered on this point. And it's literally as though you cannot go forward. And here's what's beautiful. We'll end with some good news here. That as a child of God that's defined by Him, not by culture or by yourself, you can literally, by faith, receive forgiveness and extend forgiveness just like you receive anything else, by grace, through faith. It's a simple statement. Father, in the name of Jesus, I release. I've been praying a simple prayer that John Eldridge talks about. It's called benevolent detachment. <laughs> and it, it's a sense of very simple prayer where you just throughout the day, as many times as you need to do it, sometimes 78 times, it, 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 however much, and I simply pause and I say, Father, I release everyone and everything. And then I say, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for that. I thank you for letting me do that, for giving me the grace to do it. And I move forward. And about an hour later, I do it again. 
And about 15 minutes later, I may have to pause and do it. I take a lot of God pauses through the day. I'm just saying. But I'm releasing. I'm releasing. I'm letting go. And that is what forgiveness is all about. It is letting go, letting go, letting go. And here's the deal. You're letting go of them to Him. So that you no longer are king. You no longer are sitting on the throne. You no longer are holding control and holding somebody at bay. You now release them and let them go. So we're going to practice this as we close today. It's called Benevolent Detachment. The Desert Fathers did it. And it's simply this, where you pray in the name of Jesus and you say, Father, I let everyone and everything go. I forgive everyone and everything that's happened. And you release it. And then you thank Him for the ability and the grace to do it. And then they get up the next morning and you do it again. And you do it as much as you need to. How many times should they be forgiven? Jesus said 70 times 7. I mean literally an infinite number. As much as it takes. So we're going to close right now. Why don't you all stand to your feet. And we're going to pray on the way out. And we're going to practice this simple little prayer called benevolent detachment. Where you're letting go. You're detaching from that which has attached itself to you. And maybe somebody's going to get some horsepower to the ground today. Amen? I have to tell you, once I got wheels on the ground, it was, it, was, it was Katie bar the door after that. Because that thing, it would get up and go, listen, there's so much potential in you. You don't need to be stuck another minute. Amen? So just bow your heads. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, what a privilege to come to your word and say, Lord, it's our heart to align ourselves with your word. Your word is your will. We want to align ourselves with that. We know what we do. Something amazing happens. The kingdom comes and your will gets done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray for my friends here right now. As we are before you, postured before you as sons and daughters. Now, Father, there are attachments. There are things that have happened, whether it's trauma, whether it's pain, whether it could be a little offense, it could be a big thing. Whatever it is, we all have those operative at some level. And Father, for whatever that is for each individual, I thank you, Lord, for this simple little exercise of benevolent detachment where we literally let go. So Father, we're before you humbly as sons and daughters. And church family, just no eyes looking around, just if you would, just put your hands out as though you're going to hand something. You're going to release something. I do it because it, it helps me. It helps me act out what I'm believing and thinking. So it's just an act of faith. It's nothing magical or mystical. It's just, it's just a physical act, physical expression of an inward truth, an inward reality. Fathers, we're before you, even now. We let everyone and everything go. Why don't we do that together? If we do it out loud together, we're all doing it together so no one feels awkward. Let's just do it together. And why don't you right now say, Lord, is there anything in my mind that, I, that you want me to to anyone or any person that you want me to let go. And there may be somebody, something that comes to your mind, some situation or circumstance. And so let's just let that go. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I let everyone and everything go. By faith, I thank you for the grace to release everyone and everything.
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.